What a great day this is. Do you know, as, as um, I don't know what we are really, evangelicals, charismatics, Pentecostals, I'm a, I'm a methylated spirit at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Bapticostals, there's everything there, isn't there? Um, but what happens is so often, um, because a truth becomes too exclusive and becomes an error, we do away with truth. And that is we know that God does not dwell in buildings made by hands. But we do know that he separates places for him to put his presence. <clears throat> you walk into a house, when you're going to buy one, you go, I don't like the atmosphere. And uh, I'm not a technical man, but my brother's an architect, and, and I saw a program once that they said <coughs> they will be able to extract one day sounds from the walls. Because they say, when you speak, what you say actually goes into the brick fabric. And they believe one day they're going to extract it and play conversations <coughs> that people have had in generations past. And when you go into a building and I have people say to me, will you come in? <laughs> That's frightened some of you, isn't it? <laughs> hey, it's all right, love, I'm going to come and visit your house <laughs> with a stethoscope. <laughs> but it's interesting, people come and they say, would you come and pray in my house? There's something not good there. And it's not necessarily there's demonic but there's curses, there's swearing, there's abuse. And it's in the atmosphere. And you'll go and buy another house and say, we must live here. It's not exactly the house we wanted. But it's got a beautiful atmosphere here. It's got peace. And we've had seven buildings. And so be encouraged. This, this won't be your last, but it is, it is a remarkable, remarkable provision. And we've used it. We used to have the civic hall before they knocked it down. In fact, most of the buildings we had, they've knocked down now. <laughs> You're ahead of me, aren't you? You're quite abusive, really, aren't you? Really? That's what I like being at home. And, but we got to the stage where we took over this factory, and it was just a factory. And we transformed it. And the lady came in to fit up the drapes and ran screaming from the building uncontrollable because she said the peace was so deep she couldn't cope. Wow. And we've had people walk into the church and get saved in the foyer. So what I want to speak about today is not worshipping the building, but worship the God of the building. Because if we abuse where God puts us, then why put us here? And so I want to say, as, as we commence services in this building today, I was drawn to the story of Solomon, who was the father of David. David had a strong desire to build a house for God, because God had always presented himself in a place. And before we know the temple, there was the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was built and journeyed with them through the 40 years. And they would often stand in the door of the tent and they'd look at the tabernacle and they'd see the glory of the Lord over the place. And that transpired then that there was a cloud by day, and we'll look at that, and there was a fire by night, and that took them for 40 years. And then they become established in a nation. And even though God does great things, the emphasis of the worship of God wanes. And we've got to watch that when we get established, we don't lose the desire to worship God, even though we're blessed. Do not mistake blessing for worship. Blessing is God's graciousness to us. Worship is our adoration of him. There's a bit of a difference. Because we're in blessing doesn't mean that we're in a right state. 
Parents bless their children even if their children are naughty. But it doesn't bless the naughtiness. So make sure you don't mistake the blessing of God for the worship of people. And um, <clears throat> David realised that there had to be a refocusing of the purpose of God. And he said, I want to build you a house. And the Lord said to him very simply, not that you're wrong, but he said, I'm afraid your lifestyle doesn't warrant it. I'm writing a book at the moment, which I'll try to finish for Christmas. It's not going to happen. (laughs) And it's called The Fading Doctrines of Jesus. And I look at the modern church that we live in, and we thank God for many aspects of it, but very, very little of the doctrines of Jesus are ever preached in the modern church because they're classed offensive to newcomers. But they're the things that saved me 50 years ago and have kept me in the faith ever since. And so I go through the whole of the doctrines that Jesus taught and reintroduce them to the church in a way that people understand. And um, the Bible says, knowing the fear of God, we do persuade men. There's not much fear about nowadays. And uh, there has to be... And the Holy Spirit came to do three things, not to make us happy or make us seeker-friendly, but to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And two of those are negatives. But the positive in the middle redeems the other two. And so David wanted to build a house. And God said, because there's blood on your sword, and I think we have to realise this when we teach people, God is a forgiving God, but we are accountable for our actions. And Moses struck the rock twice and never entered the promised land, even though he was forgiven. Elijah resigned his ministry, and he was handed to Elisha, but he said the spirit of Elijah will return. But Elijah was so self Deceiving that he missed 7,000 people but could take on 400 prophets. The 7,000 people have not bent the knee and he missed it because he became too self-centered. And the Bible, what I like about the Bible is it does at least record the failings so that we do not read people who are superhuman. And he said, David, you cannot build this temple because you've committed adultery, which was forgiven. Psalm 150. You have killed a man, which is forgiven, Psalm 150. But you are accountable for those actions, and you will not build a temple. And we have to say to people, even though God does restore and forgive, you do actually pay the price of that sin. So Moses, you're a good man, I love you, but you're not going into the promised land. (coughs) And we lose out so often... Because once we've got an inheritance and we squander it, we can invest the rest, but we don't get that back. He restores the years the locusts have eaten, but not the wealth. Because the prodigal son was forgiven, but he didn't get his wealth back. Because when the brother then complained and said, well, you might as well go and do what you like and take drugs, have sex, do the lot, and then you bring them back in. And he said, no, who does all this belong to? He said, well, us. I said, no, it's yours. He had his, lost it. But rejoice because your brother's come back. So he came in with the clothes he stood up in. And we've got to realise that Paul says, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, so there is laid up for me treasures in heaven. And so often we preach a gospel that front-loaded, give your life to Jesus and now it's all secure. And Jesus never said that. Jesus never, ever said that. I read the words of Jesus for two solid years. And so I do know what Jesus said. And Jesus said, it's he that endures to the end that's saved, not he that has a good beginning, 
You see, that's a good end. Because he said, you ran well, but some of you have been hindered. And you put your hand to the plow and, you, and you've turned back and you were never equipped for the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, we may have some rough times in the early years, but it's how you finish the faith. Not how you start it. That's the words of Jesus, so I tend to sort of stick to those. So David says, I want to build your house. And God in his graciousness said, okay, design it. Colour it in. Order the stock. Get excited. But Solomon will build it. So Solomon completes it. That's succession planning for future leadership. Because I will never finish the building of renewal. And my problem has been over the years is finding people who have succeeded. That's always difficult. Because Absalom should have done. He was the, he was, he was higher up the rank than Solomon. And in Jewish law, Absalom should have followed him. And Absalom, as we know, actually became self-gratifying and was saying hanging by his hair. Solomon should not have got it. David was last in line. Jesse did not rate his son David at all. All the sons stood in front of him. Is there nobody else? Well, there's only David. Well, what a great, what a great endorsement by your dad. There's only David. He's just writing music, which will never catch on. He's just written one now called, called The Lord's My Shepherd, but nobody will ever sing it. Dads can be wrong sometimes, you know. Be careful, dads, that you don't have favourites. Because it's the one who's not your favourite that's going to do the greatest thing. So he designs it. And David says to his son, I will never build this house. But you will. So Solomon comes along. The man who also felled up, actually. And he could ask for anything. And he asked for wisdom. And God says, because you've got wisdom, I'll give you money. So Solomon builds the temple and he says this, I have purposed to do everything that my father David wanted. Isn't that a good son? He didn't put his own personality in the temple. He said, if my dad had the vision, before my vision starts, I'll fulfill his vision. There's too many people who want to change things while people are still alive. Let the vision run its face and then hand the baton on, or baton, whichever you wish. So now we get to that. Are you still with me? So throughout the early history of the Jewish nation, the presence of God was contained in a tabernacle. But now they've built this incredible building, but no God. Because you can build this, you can hire this, you can rent it, you can paint it, you can put new carpet down, but if God's not here, it's a building. A very nice one. The people come and say, well, I thought this was an office box. It's a church. Well, don't forget... God said to Peter, I'll give you, I'll build my church on you. And Peter said, thank you. And then said to me, anybody know what a church is? Because there'd never been a church before. Ever thought of that? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. What's a church? <laughs> Look up Wikipedia. Oh, right, okay. Church, not yet invented. Right. Yet Solomon has this building, but there's no presence of God. So what was the strategy? And what's the strategy for Jubilee? Why would God visit and dwell there? See, God will only dwell in what he designs. And what so often in our Christian faith we fail when we go, I want to do this, Lord, will you bless it? This is my ministry, you bless it. And, and I tell you this, knowing the history of how you got this, you didn't, you didn't get this, God gave it you. I'll try that one again. <laughs> you didn't get this building, God gave it you. Yeah. 
So there's no way logically you should have got this building. Nobody is going to rent off a building when they need it for development because you become an emotional problem to them. I know. Because when I tried to rent places, they said, if we let you have it and you're successful, how can we throw a church out? That's what they said. They would not let me have it because they said, if you're successful, what will the public say if we throw a church out? So they don't want churches in buildings like this. I've been there. Two Chronicles reveals it all. In 2 Chronicles 5, 13, 14 says this. Built the church. Solomon's there. First service like today. Indeed it came to pass. I love those words in the Bible because when it says indeed it came to pass, it means it always will. When the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in the praising and thanksgiving of the Lord and when they lifted up their voices with the trumpets and cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, this is simple, this is guys, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. It's not the length, it's the depth of what we say. 120 priests gathered with them. Very significant, 120 priests. Then the house, then the house of Solomon, no, then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord, filled the house of God. Cloud. Now that wasn't new to them because the cloud had already been in the wilderness. The cloud had never inhabited a building before It led them. It wasn't just a shade from the heat. It was the presence of God visibly. And now that cloud entered the building. Which means to them they knew the presence of God was there. It wasn't new. See, they'd grown accustomed to the cloud, but they had not seen it since they'd been in the promised land. It was their guidance in the wilderness, in the surging heat of the day. It was the sign of God's presence. It had lifted when entering the promised land. Yet Solomon longed for that tangible presence again. And some of us who have been Christians for 50 years long for the presence of God. I've had times in the presence of God that people have have never seen. I used to be an assistant evangelist to to another guy and we went to a church in High Wycombe once, Lane End. And we started, in those days, we used to sing hymns as well as worship songs. And he got up there and he said, well, we're just going to sing this hymn. And I just want you to raise your hands while you sing the hymn. We, we sang the hymn. And then a pregnant silence came into the, into the building. Uh, and we stood there and nobody coughed, nobody sang, nobody spoke in tongues. There was this pregnant silence. And um, I tried to get my hands down. They went back up again. They just could not get them down. They kept back up again. I pulled them out. They went back up again. And suddenly, after a while, he just said, um, please sit down and don't look at your watches. And he said, how long have we been in that presence of God? And somebody said, 10 minutes. Somebody said, 15 minutes. We started the service at 11. I defy you to keep your hands in the air till 1 o'clock. <laughs> For two solid hours... A time stood still. We're in the presence of God. The tangible presence of God and no one could lower their arms. 
because they were suspended in the presence of God. You try doing that for two hours. It's impossible. Can't do it. He said, the service is over, go home. When you've been in the presence of God for two hours, you don't sing, preach, take communion, don't do anything. You go home. Because you've all been ministered to. So I've been there. And so like Solomon, he heard the stories of the old days and he was opening this church and he went, I don't want old-fashionedness, but I want presence. We don't want to go back to doing things 300 years ago, but we do want the same spirit that raised Wesley in this church. Amen. Regardless of the label we wear. Would that be true? Amen. So what was the catalyst that provoked this appearance of the cloud? Number one, the priests and the musicians not hiding behind their ministries, badges or labels. We all say amen. I don't care if it's New Frontiers, Old Frontiers, Bang & Olsen, don't care who it is. <laughs> B&Q, Renewal. If we don't watch it, as the church grows, we grow with badge. We grow with truly honouring ministry, but when you lose your office, you lose your reason. Because we take our values by our positions, especially men. When men meet together, they try to find out what each other do to see who they are in the pecking order. If a person's too far ahead from you, you're threatened. If he's just ahead of you, you want to be like him. If he's beneath you a little while, you're compassionate. If he's right down there, you don't bother. Women talk about different issues, but men are talking about jobs and cars. I know I was in football for 21 years, and the first thing a footballer would say, what do you drive, Dave? And if you drove something good, he thought you were good. Your value is based on the car. If you didn't drive a sports car, you went good. So I had to drive a spoiler and all this football boots dangling from the offing. <laughs> Just for the mentality of the footballers, I think I was good at my job. And he got to a situation, we don't know how it happened, where he said to all the musicians and all the singers and all the liturgical efforts of the Levites, Listen, folks, we can't do this in this new place. We've got to have position. We've got to have office. We've got to have elders. And we've got to have musicians. But there's got to be a unity that goes beyond office. And that cannot come by human interaction. It only come by the Holy Spirit. See, it'll be the third week I've not been in my own church now. And history tells me in our type of church I should be there all the time. Because I'm the senior pastor. But how are they going to survive when I'm dead if I'm not away three weeks on the trot? They've got to learn to do that. And the people have got to learn now, I'm not God incarnate, made in flesh and speaking with a Birmingham accent. <laughs> and Solomon had to say to them, you come from a very strict liturgical background where there's separations of divisions. And some can wash their hands and some can't and some can take a dub and come and take... But listen, he said, in this new place, even though there's got to be those offices and we respect those offices, there's got to be a purpose. There's got to be a vision. There's got to be a reason why we're here. And I'm saying to you, Jubilee, I know that's within the heart of your leaders. I know that's in the heart of Rob. But we've got to get to the point whereby we do not have pecking orders. And he said, we, we, guys, we've got to get this right. And this is not something that you do at a church meeting. It's not something you do at a weekend away. It's an ongoing process. When they could all sing off the same hymn sheet. And it wasn't a big 15-point theological debate. It was, you're good. 
Your mercies endure forever. Who believes that? They all went, we do. My God, do you mean you all believe that? Yeah. You mean not tinge a bit of theological difficulty? No. See, I mix with people who theologically I will not agree with everything with. I want to know, are we agreeing that Christ is Lord? We may do communion different. You may not do communion. I do it weekly. I sometimes wear all my ecclesiastical garb as a bishop. Wear all my shirt and my cross. I used to preach against that. I use it now to reach other people. I sit with the Catholics where before I used to think they were total heretics. So I had the lunch with the Pope last year. Things I would never, ever do. I haven't changed my theology. I just changed my approach. Believing that I'm not the only one with truth. And the truth is when I find out there's others, I might have less truth than I thought. Because a lot of my truth is based on dogma. And if you've got dogma, you have to take it for a walk three times a day. <laughs> so the priests and musicians were not hiding behind their ministry. There was a desire to gather collectively to worship the Lord of Lords. And number two, the song they sang, He is good, your mercy endures forever. It was the combination of these two actions that caused the cloud of the wilderness to enter the temple. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Then Solomon spoke. You see, a lot of people, and I've seen this in the church, as soon as the presence of God comes in, they just lie on the floor. I mean, I've been a Christian 50 years. I've been through all the, all the moods of the Spirit. Oh, yes, well, it's nice to see you today. Where's the congregation? They're all on the floor soaking. <laughs> well, do that at home. Get a bath, lie in it. You don't come to church and lie on the floor. I mean, the strangers come and think, my God, they fainted. <laughs> We've all had those times, and you know, make it a special time in the midweek where you lie on the floor, fall asleep face down for all I care, with your feet in the air like a dying fly, I don't care. You can't just dwell in the cloud, there's more. I'll try that again, there's more. Because in the wilderness, it wasn't just a cloud, there was the fire. And I don't just want a cloud in my house, I want the fire in my house. So Solomon intervened, he had to stop the, just resting brother. Well, great, that's wonderful. Not every week, still resting brother. Oh, stop it. I'm just soaking brother. Well, you're half soaked already, come on. He spoke to them. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. Say dark cloud. cloud. That's interesting. The Lord would dwell in a dark cloud. So he said, look, folks, this is only what we expected. We're not going to go, wow, we've reached it. He said, no, it's what we expected. We haven't had it before. It hasn't come yet, but that's what we've been looking for. The answer is Jubilee. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the presence of God to come into this building? Because if he doesn't come in, the people won't. And if the people do, they won't stay. You need his presence before they come in. So it's a good time to start this, isn't it? You can talk about me when I've gone. So the impact... And then he says this, I have surely built you an exalted house, Solomon said... And I've built you a great one and a place that you can dwell in forever. He didn't expect for it to wane when the next move of the Spirit came. He said, I'm expecting you to stay here forever. 
And we've got to build a church, we've got to build a community, we've got to build a fellowship, which isn't full of fads, it's not full of what's the latest thing that's happening in the Christian world, but we are knowing that the basics are going to be here forever. We're not going to move from the basics. We might change delivery, might change the way we dress, but we're not going to move from the basics. So the impact was not one of emotional blessing. We can easily receive that with good worship. It was the actual presence of God. It's not the feel-good factor, it's the feel-God factor. The Gospel of Matthew takes us to the cross. The dark cloud. That dark cloud was in the wilderness, the dark cloud was in the, was in, was in the, was in the temple, but where else was the dark cloud? A Calvary. Think about this. And about noon, it went dark. And it was dark until three in the afternoon. And when at three in the afternoon, the darkness left, Jesus shouted, My God, my God, why have you left me? Because the dark cloud at Calvary was God. His presence with his son. Staying with him until the final moments. And then he had to leave. Because Father cannot look at sin. And Jesus died alone. The cloud in the wilderness was the cloud in the temple was the darkness of Calvary. And all it's saying is in all those great events God was there. My prayer for you today is in this great event come cloud. The cloud of Calvary was the cloud that entered the temple. It's the same cloud that can enter the building today, yet there's more. Many churches have experienced the cloud and that disables their ability to worship. Oh, that's it. They just spend hours lying on the floor resting. That in itself is beautiful experience, yet Solomon was not content with this. The house of the Lord was not just for the impacting of the priests and the worship team, it was for the world out there. Just look out of your windows. You look out of that other block there and, you, and you're right in Mel Square. So Solomon pushed on in prayer. So you experience something good in God, let me give you a warning. Don't stop, don't dwell in the cloud, push on. Push through. Because notice when the cloud was there, they kept walking. They didn't stop going, cloud. Stand under the cloud. Oh, shaka marababa. Cloud. Why are we having a cloud meeting? Oh, cloud. No. As the cloud moved, they moved because God's presence moves. It's not static. It moves. This in itself is a challenge. So Solomon pushed on in prayer. The children of Israel didn't just have the cloud. They needed the fire. It had appeared in the burning bush to Moses. Elijah called it down on the altar. John the Baptist said, there'll come one who will baptize you with fire. Chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, no shortcuts, fire came from heaven and consumed the burnt and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house and then, and then it spilt over onto the pavement and the people outside had to bow in the presence of God. My God, do you mean it actually gets downstairs through the door and into Mel Square? Oh, panic, panic. Come on. 
Do you mean people walking down Warwick Road could actually fall on their face in the presence of God? Do you really believe that? See, the cloud will stay in the building, but the fire will go outside. Day of Pentecost. It's no good you being here because it's better than Christchurch. You've got to be here because you're strategically right in the middle of the town. But it's got to start in here. The cloud's got to come. Presence of God. The fire's got to come. The holiness of God. The dynamis of God. The power of God. And they're walking along outside the temple and bang, down they go. Brian Houston's dad, who I knew for many years, he, he went to a church in America, and as he's preaching, the cloud comes down. Boom! Everybody in the congregation is gone. They're all on the floor. There's only him and the pastor standing. <laughs> and as he walks around, everybody's gone. So they walk to the back, and the ushers are gone. And then they look outside, and all on the pavement, all the neighbours are gone. So the clouds turn into the... So the police are called. <laughs> and they hear the sirens because there's people lying all over the pavement and in the road. And as the police come down the road, the pastor panics and says to Frank Houston, what do we do now? He said, I don't know about you, mate, but I'm going to lie on the floor and join the rest. <laughs> But wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? See, that's not just something in the Bible. That's something that happened to him when he was in America. Power of God hit the church and spilt out straight down. People walking past, bang, straight down in the power of God. Why couldn't it happen here? Why couldn't it? Why do we want something less? It affected those outside of the temple. This was a dramatic exposure to the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice the people had moved on in their journey. Now they brought sacrifices and offerings. So first of all, we've got to get it together. We've got to be in unity. We've got to, we've got to agree on the very basic things. We've got to hold not to our position. And then the cloud will come. And then we've got to continue to break through in prayer. But then we've got to, it's got to cost us something. There's no formula that's going to say, so Lord's going to be saved and I'm going to get the 7,000 God promised me and you're going to fill all these wings. It's not just going to happen because we just happen to be you know, sexy in the way we approach things and we're doing all the modern things and doing the modern talk and we're playing the right songs. That ain't going to happen, folks. It's going to cost us. Now Solomon laid sacrifices on the altar and my challenge to you, Jubilee, is what's it going to cost you? No pain. When I look back on the 43 years, or 40, what is it, 43 years I've been in Solihull, if I wrote a book on pain, it would be that thick. But if I wrote a book on gain, it would be that thick. I just said to you, didn't I, before we started, I said, you'll get disappointments now you've moved in here. Don't worry about it. Nothing's built without pain. How many women say after the first child I'll never have another one? <laughs> oh, the pain was terrible. Absolutely shocking. You men, you don't know what it's about. No, you're not. Right, 
I mean, I was very sympathetic when we had our first child. I was reading a book on Elijah. I said to love, shh, hang on, love, I'm reading. <laughs> I just show that great sense of humility. Until I had kidney stones. And the doctor told me it's worse than having a baby. So then I realised I'd never have... I'm glad that men were never made to have children. Mm-hmm. We have a small population in the world, I'll tell you that now. But what I'm saying is, you have pain, you go through labour, you sweat, you lose your dignity. You're at your worst in mood, attitude and looks. You come out as if you've been in a swimming pool, even without it's not a water birth. And you look at the result of that baby and you say, it's all worth it. And even though that child's going to cause you heartache, sleepless nights, wreck all your furniture, worse than a dog, it'll wee and poo where it shouldn't, worse than a dog, and for the rest of your life, drain money out of you. (laughs) So all all my kids are married. And when I get a phone call, they're married with husbands and wives. They're married. And then I get a phone call. Hi, Dad. I go, how much? <laughs> oh, Dad. Why are you saying that? Because that tone of voice is always how much, and I've got somebody with me at the moment. So just tell me straight, how much? <laughs> could you just lend us 200 pounds, could you, Dad? Are you sure? Because I don't want another phone call. Make it three. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I said to one of my children, when are you going to pay me back? She said, Dad, we've had a meeting about this. You've got two options. When you die and we sell the bungalow, we'll bring it to the grave. But if you prefer, we'll put a check in the coffin when you die anyway. And I said, but I can't cash it. And I went, never thought of that. Now in that little analogy... You go through the pain of something that will cost you for the rest of your life, and if you're going to be logical and clinical, you'd never have children. But it's the passion and the love of reproduction that causes you to not to think logically, or biologically, but to think spiritually. And if you are going to be a church that's going to make your mark in this town, there has to be a pregnancy, a gestation, there has to be a birth, and there has to be a lifetime commitment. Now, you may not all be here a lifetime, because you may be moving all around the country, around the world. You may die one day We've, in 43 years. I've seen people come and go all over the place, but there's got to be a spirit that remains that you all subscribe to, and you all buy into. And then you're going to see things happen here that you've never seen before. So let me bring this to a close. The day of Pentecost was not unpredictable. The day of Pentecost had been predicted. Solomon had seen it. 120 people held not to their division. Came together. Sang and played as one. The cloud came in. They stopped. The presence of God is here. Let's, let's enjoy the presence of God. You're allowed to enjoy the presence of God. But don't stay there. Because the presence of God is moving on. And all these churches that, and I value never happened to us, all these churches that, have the presence of God and they cancel all their meetings and have services every day of the week and when the presence of God moves on they're left with nothing because everybody's left the church they're fed up if what you're doing is right you shouldn't have to cancel it if what you're doing is wrong you shouldn't bring it back so I know when God wants to visit our church we're putting in a structure that we won't have to cancel anything it'll just sweep through what we've got 
build a structure that will take the cloud and not be consumed by the fire. Let what you do be a channel for it. Amen? And so the temple had gone. Veil had been rent. Totally obsolete now. Now they're in this no man land. Well, do they still need the cloud? Yes. Do we still need the fire? <coughs> yes. That is in the wilderness. That is in the temple. Now there's no building. But Jesus said, tarry, stay in Jerusalem till you be endured with power from on high. And this time, <coughs> it's going to start in a building but it's going to finish up in people. Because your temples of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, they sat there and a miracle happened. Because if the miracle was for all the ministry teams in the Solomon's temple to work as one, how about men and women of all disposition, which was against Jewish culture? In Jewish church today, if I took to a synagogue today, all the men sit on the ground floor and the women and the girls sit upstairs. And when Paul says a word that women be silent in churches, because they used to shout down to the men, Levi, Levi, what is he on about? Well, I tell you, Ruth is on about this. He said, will you shut up and ask your husbands when you get home? He wasn't telling the women ever to speak in church. This was synagogue practice. Because men and women don't sit together in the Jewish faith. Never do. Never have. Never will. So what happened on the day of Pentecost when men and women sat in the same room as equal? It was God telling you that that law was going to go and you better sort out it between men and women now. So men and women were in that upper room until they began to have the same oneness as they had in the temple. Now notice oneness and unity are two different things. Unity is when we agree to differ but we agree to work together. Oneness is just like marriage where the two become one. And that is deeper than unity. We struggle to get unity. Unity brings the anointing, where there's unity, Aaron's beard. Oneness brings the fire in the cloud. And I'll tell you this, I want the fire in the cloud. I want to go beyond unity. I've had unity with this man since he came here. I believe I've got oneness with this man. But we're two different churches. We don't live in each other's pockets. Two different churches, different visions, absolutely one. I love him like I would my own son. But you ain't getting pocket money. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> In love. Or I'll tell Greg about you. All right? So, look, come on, let's, let's bring this up to something. So, are they on this upper room? They're having to learn cultural differences. They're having to get over their prejudice between men and women and disciples, apostles and ordinary people because we've, we've been with Jesus for three years who are we sitting with you? And madam, you know, who give you the right to turn around and say that I was wrong in my attitude to Jesus when I denied him? Who are you? They get all that out in the room together. Painful. But the reason they did it was because they were lonely and didn't want to be on their own anymore. And I tell you as a Christian in this country, I'm very lonely. I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to be like Simeon that says, I've seen the glory of the Lord before I die. All this about, you know, revival will come. It better not come while I'm dead. I'll have a word with the Holy Spirit about that one. So what have I done wrong that it happened when I was dead? 
And Rob Davies got it all. What's wrong with you, Lord? Rebuke <laughs> 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 you in love. Then suddenly, I, I love the suddenness of God. The suddenness of God have always been planned for generations. God didn't say immediately, which is our modern generation. He said suddenly. They came into the room. This time not a cloud. Because the cloud was removed at Calvary. A wind. Because now it's the day of the Holy Spirit. He has now full control of the church. The wind came in. See, wind blows up all the dead leaves. Wind brings sanctification. Now if the church is going to move, we've got to become clean people. Not how much can we flirt with the world and still be righteous. We've got to be separate, be in the world but not of it. Not, not religious, not legalistic, but we've got to be people that have a different lifestyle. That's how people should know about us. I'm a chaplain at the hospital across the road now. I'm, I'm over there now. I used to be in Heartlands. I'm over there. Why well, you know all my busy life? I went back to being, I went to be a chaplain because I wanted to meet real people. All I do is meet leaders. They don't know who I am. Well, they didn't, but I'm over there now. I'm at that hospital there. I walked the wards nine miles a time. I walked there and I'm not allowed to preach. Do you know that? Chaplains aren't allowed to preach. You're not allowed to talk about God unless the person asks. So I just have to say, God, what I am has got to come out. So I walk in there. I walk in there. I think, what am I going to do? Well, I've got my shirt on. That helps. Got my cross and my collar. That helps. But it don't mean they're going to talk to me. So I walk in. I think, what am I going to do? I'm going to talk in parables. But I've got to see the glory of the Lord out there. I've got to see the fire out there. So I'll go in and I'll see all the old men in their 80s having their knees and hips done. So I'll go, officer on board, and they all salute me. <laughs> They've all done national service. I'll go, stand easy. <laughs> all right. How are you, sir? What rank were you, sergeant? And what were you in? Royal Marines. <laughs> we go around and we talk to them all. Oh, I said, you're in the Royal Standbacks, were you? No, you didn't go in. Right, okay. And we have a chat. And then they say to me, You're not like a vicar. <laughs> and I go, why? They said, you're too much fun. <laughs> and they said, what church do you go to? I said, I won't tell you why. I said, you might come. I don't want you. <laughs> I said, well, aren't we allowed to come? I go, no. I'm very choosy who comes to my church. And I don't know if I like you yet. <laughs> and they're going to fit a bit. Oh, darling, it's me stitches. Oh, and I go. Then they say things like, vicars ain't like you. And I say, why? They said, they're not real. Then they say to me, have you always been religious? I said, I've never been religious. <laughs> no, they say, you know what I mean? I go, no. Well, would you like me to tell you? Yeah. Give them a testimony. We've got to be real people. Up in that upper room, they attracted real people. They all came round from Mel Square and Warwick Road. They heard what was going on, and then they went out there, and they didn't get religious. They were real people, men and brethren. They're not drunk as you think. It's nine o'clock in the morning. The pubs aren't open. <coughs> he spoke in the language they understood. And halfway through telling them all that glorious stuff, what must we do to be saved? 3,000 in one day. 3,000 in one day. And then every day afterwards. And then it's all fouled up since then. So what am I saying to you, Jubilee? Temple experience? 
you want the cloud to come in? Yeah? You can have the presence of God. A bit old fashioned, but that's good. You know the presence of God? Because the cloud went away because it should be normal now. We should have the presence of God all the time. Secondly, do you want the fire? But the fire cannot be contained in a building. It's got to go out there. It did in the temple. It did on the day of Pentecost. Then do you want the wind? Fire. On every single head this time. Not on an altar, not on a sacrifice, on you. So Lord, we pray to the right. All around us in the middle of the heart of this town of ours. All the commercial area. We pray for the fire to go through these walls into the lives of our people on the streets. No longer will it go out there, outside of us, but it will go outside there with us. And we pray for all through this building over there, the children, that these children will be filled with the Spirit. And we pray for Warwick Road. Pray for the hospital through there. Dying people. Confused staff, lonely people. Pray for our health service that's in the middle of meltdown. Let people look up when they pass this place. The leaders here, Rob, have you got your other leaders with you? Can I just pray with you and then I'll hand back to you? You know, it's a big move moving here. Because even though renting a church building was not convenient, it wasn't good. It's safe. But moving here with new expenses, new heating, new refurbishment, and still keep on with the presence of God is difficult. But it's all part of building the temple. So Lord, I just separate these, these men and their families and others that will rise up, and those who are already in this place, in different positions of leadership, that, Lord, there will become a holding knot to their division. That doesn't mean there isn't leadership. It doesn't mean there isn't governance. It just means that we're following in the one direction with the one God. And as their hearts become melted together, then, Lord, you will bring about something very special in this place. Sanctify these walls. Sanctify all that's been on in this place now. We cleanse the walls from idle gossip of office workers. And we bring about, Lord, a sacred presence of God within these walls. In the name of Jesus, anointing come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the people said...